guys welcome to let's fucking talk i'm lauren and i'm back in the closet this week um <laughs> i tried to i didn't try i did record a podcast from my computer using a microphone but it was more echoey to me so i'm still playing around with different ways to have a better setup but um i mean the closet never goes wrong so I guess if it ain't broke don't fix it <laughs> so. okay I feel like I have a million little things to talk about ideas things that have happened so we need to start first off with uh, a story <laughs> all right so um if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I am single. And right now, I'm in a phase of healing and of doing a lot of energy cleansing, which has resulted in getting rid of a few connections that, you know, I've just had around me. So... It's been very much a time of releasing and focusing on myself, and I don't have any intention to purposely try and change that anytime soon. So, I was talking to my best friend, Emery. They live in Miami, and we were on the phone one day, and they were just on Instagram, and they were like, oh my god, this person I know is hosting a speed dating event. And we proceeded to just talk about how disgusting the idea of speed dating would be for about 30 minutes like we ripped it apart we were like how fucking weird who goes to speed dating that would be terrifying and i think (laughs) i don't want to speak for emery but i think it's safe to say sometimes emery and i are a little closed off when it comes to humans in general (laughs) so um something that we're both working on but yeah so we spent 30 minutes just destroying the idea of speed dating and like two days later my other best friend Ashley who lives in South Carolina came to visit me and somehow the idea or the topic of dating got brought up and I told Ashley about this speed dating thing and essentially recapped the conversation I had with Emery and then Ashley had this really positive perspective on speed dating. So then I spent 30 minutes talking about how incredible speed dating could be. So I called Emery back and I was like, okay, hear me out. I think I have a brand new perspective on speed dating. And basically what it came down to is if you're going to be open to go on a date, you are always going to be susceptible to a awkward time, an uncomfortable time, And that's really what gets me about the idea of dating. I hate uncomfortable situations. I mean, that's like obvious. 
I think, I don't think there's anyone who loves discomfort, but I cannot handle it. (laughs) I really hate feeling uncomfortable. I'm also, I just like feel other people's feelings. So then I feel like the couple, I've truly only gone on dates like a handful of times in my entire life. And the couple of like dating, meaning like me and this person one-on-one at dinner and we barely know each other, like that type of date. Um, I've only done that a handful of times and I feel like I can always feel my own nervous energy, but then I feel their nervous energy and it's just, I just want to throw up the whole time. So I was like, speed dating could be really cool because yes, you're still putting yourself in potentially an uncomfortable situation, but you're rotating people and you talk to them for like a max of five minutes. So that actually sounds like a dream because if anything is uncomfortable or awkward, it's literally over in five minutes. And as you know from listening to over a year's worth of podcasts from me, I can talk. I can talk to myself in a closet so I can surely talk to another person for at least five minutes. So mind you, this was all about Emery doing the speed dating event because it was down in Miami and I was just encouraging Emery to do something new and like, you know, get out of their comfort zone, whatever. So after, you know, (laughs) deciding that we loved speed dating, Emery signed up for the speed dating event, but then of course was like, okay, well, are you going to do one? Is there speed dating near you? And I was like, fuck, I thought this was about you. (laughs) So I was like, whatever, I'm open to it. Um, It'll be a fun experience. And in another life, I used to work for a um, financial holdings company, basically. And I had to, part of my metrics that I had to hit every week was that I had to attend at least one networking event. And I remember I did a speed networking event a few times and I loved it because it forced me to talk to way more people than I would at a networking event. And it was more like to the point, you had a 10 minute conversation and then it was done. So I had that memory of like you doing some kind of speed situation and I liked it. Like it was, it worked for me. So I was like, oh my God. So I, I was hoping that when I Googled it, there wouldn't be one, but of course there was honestly many speed dating events near me. So I found one that was ages 24 to 36 uh, I'm 30 for no anyone who doesn't know. So I was like, okay, perfect. Um, Emery's speed dating event was first. So they went the weekend before me. Um, and overall, they had a fine time. There was no, no horror stories. Um, they had maybe one or two conversations where they just like really were not into the person and their energy. But again, nothing outwardly horrible. And they had a couple awesome conversations, potentially made new friends, and that's it. It was it was good. So I was like, okay. And coming up to the event, I literally had no nerves because just the idea of it's really hard to really have a super awkward or uncomfortable time at speed dating because you're just talking for a couple of minutes and then you're done. So I was not nervous at all. And I naturally have an anxious brain and I have a mind that loves to think about, 
you know, the worst case scenario. I do struggle with catastrophic thinking. So most of the time, I have a worst case scenario planned for almost everything. And then, of course, the worst thing never happens. So then I'm always relieved. (laughs) And for me, the worst case scenario for speed dating wasn't even that bad. The worst case scenario for me was it might be people I'm just not attracted to um, or people who aren't necessarily like on the same wavelength as me, but I'm sure I'll meet people. I'm sure there'll be some good conversations and, you know, I could use this for friendship. I could use this for business opportunities. So I was looking forward to it. Like I, Again, I'm not in any place to be actively seeking out dating or relationships. So there was no pressure of that part of it for me. And, like, it's fine. Like, I I did not have any intention of actually meeting anyone romantic there. So no problem. That's how I went into it. I was very positive. And... (laughs) I have to be really careful with the way I describe this because I don't want it to come off unkind. But there's there's just some truths we have to talk about. All right, so I pulled up to this place. I'm dressed super fucking cute. I got my little velvet dress on, my knee-high boots, my hair is curled, and I get there, and... I find the lady who's hosting the event, and she's like, okay, it's you and these two other guys right now. And I'm like, what you mean me and these two other guys right now? And she's like, no, I'm waiting for more people. Um, And she told me how many people signed up. Like, it was supposed to be, like, eight men and eight women or something. Like, that actually signed up. And I was like, all right. So she's like, go grab a drink in the meantime. First off, this place was only beer and wine, and I have an allergy to beer and wine, so I was already fucking devastated. I was like, oh, great. So, whatever. Um, (laughs) So, okay, like, 15 or so minutes pass. I start to see some people. The final turnout for this event was six or seven guys and four women, including myself. And... Oh, man. Okay, so I just have to say it the way it is. This is just the fucking truth. Of the six or seven men I spoke to, at least four of them were on the autism spectrum. They were absolutely neurodivergent. And I say this as someone who has their degree in psychology and used to work with autistic children. So I'm not I'm not using that word in a derogatory way of like, oh, they were awkward or they were this, like, they were absolutely diagnosably neurodivergent. And my initial reaction to, you know, like, I quickly assessed the group before we sat down, and again, some of these things were very obvious. And my first initial reaction was that I wanted to cry, that I wanted to leave, and then I was like, just fucking sit here and do it. Like, just do it. So, I just, (laughs) it felt horrible for so many reasons. One, it felt, I felt embarrassed. I don't really know 
how to pinpoint or describe that feeling, but it's what I felt. I felt embarrassed. Um, and then I just felt really horrible for these people, these men, and I felt bad for me because we all paid to be here at this event, and obviously it's just like very unfair marketing. And I say that because I spoke to all the men, and for many of them, it was their third or fourth time doing this event through this company. So at this point, this company knows who is coming to their events, and I just feel like it has to be rebranded or marketed a certain way. I don't know if there's a right answer to that. I really don't. But it was simply unfair for both parties. There was never going to be connections made here. Um, it, it was just, it was just insane. It was insane. Um, I could only laugh about it after because humor is how I handle everything, but it's enough to remind me why going and seeking dating is for sure not for me. I'm trying to practice being like an open person because for as much as I've labeled myself an open person, I have found that especially when it comes to um, potential romantic partners or dating, I am super closed off and I don't want to be that way. So, but to outwardly try and date, meaning look up speed dating, do these types of shits, I just, I just, I just can't. I, uh, basically, there's just added another level of trauma as to the reasons that I'm not ever seeking out dating actively. Um, it was insane. It was just insane. It was insane. And honestly, I handled all the conversations. I put myself back into, like, a therapy mode when I used to work with autistic children, and I just spoke to them from that place, of course, I was very kind, they were very kind, and that's it. We kind of just kept it simple. And then, the like, you have um, little cards at your table that you can write down everyone's name who you meet, and then at the bottom of the card, you write down, like, basically who your matches would be. And how it works is you give the host your card with your matches, and then if you and another person match they send you their contact information after the fact so that you don't have to worry about any discomfort of someone asking for your number or anything like that, which I do like. So when the event ended, and this woman, this host, she sees what is clearly going on, okay? And this woman comes up to me and is like, all right. So the speed dating ends, and like when I tell you I'm almost jogging back to my car immediately, like I fucking flew out of that chair. I was like, okay, I did it lovely I'm fucking out of here I want to cry and she asked for the card back she's like all right guys take your time fill out your cards and I wanted to say be fucking for real okay like from if you guys are TikTok fans you know the sound (laughs) um I'm like be fucking for real lady I'm like here you go my empty card you can have it back like stop fucking playing games And then it just makes me feel like these people are being taken advantage of because they continue to pay for these events. It's just so fucked up. So I literally wrote an email to the company and I was like, again, this is not coming from an unkind place. Like, 
I, I, I wouldn't write an email or be bothered if I showed up t- to this place and just wasn't attracted to people or just didn't connect with people. That's no one's fucking fault. But there is a blatant discrepancy in what is really going on here and what types of people come to these events, at least for this specific brand. I've heard different stories. It's not always the case, but this is what I experienced. And the fact that it was a majority of the men were neurodivergent and had been there multiple times. I'm like, they damn well fucking know. So, uh-oh, and then the company responds back, ignores everything I said, essentially, and was like, we're so sorry. If you'd like to come back, we'd love to have you for free. And I'm like, okay, I guess you're not fucking understanding what I'm talking about. I will not be coming back. <gasps> so, yeah. Um, it's the type of shit that'll almost make you call your ex because you're so traumatized and you're like, being single is traumatizing. And I made a TikTok video about this, but obviously I'm a TikToker, as we can tell. I just can't stop referencing it. Um, hold on, I have to take my sweater off. It's hot as fuck in my closet. Okay. Um, any hoozles. When I say being single is traumatizing, I, I mean dating is traumatizing. <laughs> being single, like the idea of just being alone... And having time for yourself and focusing on yourself, that shit's literally beautiful. But trying to date in this day and age, traumatizing, which is why typically I don't do it. And I just fell into the speed dating thing because I had to go open my big ass mouth and encourage my friend to do it. So yeah, I'm just going back to like fully minding my fucking business because I was having a beautiful time just doing that. I don't want to be on dating apps. I don't, I just, I just don't, I just don't want it. And this leads into my next point. <sighs> if you are single, you will deeply understand this. And if you're not single, I need you to turn up the volume on your car, your headphones, wherever you're listening to this, and really take in what I'm telling you, okay? Single people do not need to be rescued. They do not need to be saved. It is not sad to be single or alone. There are things that can come with being single that can be sad, that can feel lonely. But if you're really focused on healing and you're learning to love spending time with yourself, like I talked about last episode... Those times of being sad about being single or alone are far and few between. And I think eventually, almost essentially, like, disappear the more you work on it. I talked about this last week, but I'm to the point where the only time I feel actually lonely is if I'm deathly ill or there's, like, a natural disaster and there's a hurricane. (laughs) So I basically eliminated that feeling and it is not to deny the beauty of partnership but there are seasons of life and you should be embracing and finding the joy and the beauty in every season of life and I feel like people treat being single like a transitional period where you have to Basically be focused on getting unsingle as soon as possible. And 
there's this strange thing I've been noticing that people in relationships, right, who presumably have their own relationship to tend to, have their own partner to tend to, sometimes have children to tend to, are very focused on their friend's singleness. And it is always, always, always with wonderful intention. It is always simply wanting to see someone else be happy. But this comes down to an overarching societal theme that being in partnership is the only way to be happy or should be the ultimate goal in life. And it's really crazy how we've kind of set that structure. Like, some people's whole purpose revolves around dating and finding a partner, and then everything else comes second, third, fourth. And I I do not want to say that that's a bad thing. If that is your focus, you know, partnership, family, that is not a bad thing by any means. But what I need us to all get on board with is that is not everyone's motive. And we need to be okay with each other's motives. I need to be okay with the fact that some people, their whole destination in life has to do with relationship, marriage, children. And other people need to be okay with my motive, which is healing, growing, career, finding my purpose, growing in my purpose. And we all just need to be like very understanding of each other and stop pitying people who are truly finding joy in their current season in life. And just because it's not what you would find joyful or not because you couldn't picture yourself in this scenario, please like save your sadness for like an actual sad event. Like you do not need to be sad for people who are actively choosing to be by themselves and love themselves. Um, I can't tell you how often I will tell people, oh yeah, I'm going to the movies. And when they find out I'm going by myself, because I do that once a week, uh, as often as I can, people are like, I can come with you. And I'm like, I literally don't want anyone to come with me. Like, there's this feeling that people are sad for me, like constantly. And it trips me out because I'm not sad for me. So why are you sad for me? And then it kind of came, came to a head this weekend for me. A friend who I literally adore and who I know adores me kind of brought up the topic um, about dating, being single, me being open to new things. And it just, like, it, it literally made me cry, first of all. And I feel like after enough times of people perceiving you in a sad manner, it makes you sad. And you're like, why the fuck am I sad? Who made me sad? I'm not sad. And so I had like, you know, some little tears. And then I drove home and I was talking to Emery about it. And I kind of like talked, Emery helps talk me back into my actual brain. And it's like, yeah, other people's feelings, and uh, honestly, after so long of hearing it, because quite frankly, even when I was in my last relationship, people were still sad for me, which 
actually they had very much the right to be sad for me during that but (laughs) I feel like people have put so much sadness onto me that isn't even mine that it finally like I then I felt sad about it and that's just it's just absurd I I I don't want that anymore and I again it's always done with the most beautiful of intentions and it makes me love my people even more because they're not coming from it from any other angle other than they want me to be the happiest version of myself but because we can only see things through our own perception like that's just the human condition for other people being in my situation might feel really sad so then naturally they feel sad seeing me in this position But I urge you to really find out, before you feel sad for someone, find out if they are sad. Because what I've seen a lot of is all my single friends, and mind you, this is just because of the company I happen to keep, my single friends are single 99% by choice and by working on healing, by working on their, you know, trying to grow their business, they're trying to find their purpose, they're they're busy and it's I'm not I don't feel sad for anyone I know who's single currently in this moment because we're all on that wavelength of there are other things to work on first and those things are so 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 important to us so please do not be sad for people who are not even sad for themselves Because then you trip them out and make them think they should be sad like it happened to me the other night. I was like, am I sad? No, I'm not sad. Like, and I think, I think ultimately what triggered that emotion for me is that I am still doing a lot of healing. And I think people quickly forget that literally a year ago I was having an abortion I just started to feel the feelings of the abortion at the beginning of 2022. And it's a lot. Like, I was in a nine-year relationship. I don't know some adults who have been in a nine-year relationship. Adults meaning older than me. I am an adult. Uh, But, you know, like, so I think people also, I can't really knock people for not 100% understanding my journey and understanding why healing is my number one focus and I think people sometimes view like the process of healing and therapy and feeling your feelings as really challenging and it is and there are dark moments in that but they literally only lead to a generally more beautiful life and a a life full of more light like my healing the past year has been so hard and I've also never been happier today as I talk to you and if you've been listening to my podcast for the last four to six weeks in the last four to six weeks I have started integrating all of the things I've logically known. And I've started integrating all of the healing I've been talking about for so long. And I literally feel so lucky. I feel so full of love for myself, for my friends. Like, it's disgustingly beautiful. So, 
then to feel that all of that is minimized from the outside or people can't see how beautiful that is because I'm single, it, it, it hurt me. Like, it just hurt my feelings. And I think that happens a lot. And there's this thing of, like, you know, when you have your single friend, it's the constant topic of, well, how do we find you someone? Or, oh, I know this person. Or, uh, and then, like, they almost start settling on behalf of you. Like, I know what I want. And they'll be like, oh, well, um, you know, they have three kids and they're 40, but they're so nice. And it's like, that gives the air of, you think I am desperate for a relationship. And, like, I should just be with whoever so that I'm not alone. And that's a really weird thing, okay? <laughs> and, um, it's basically a joke between one of my best friends and I that she has tried to hook me up with the worst people. And I'm literally in love with her and I know her intentions are only good. But it is a running joke that I'm like, that's who you tried to hook me up with. And, again, it only comes from a good place. But I think as a society, we're so uncomfortable with singleness and single people and people who are joyful in their singleness. And I don't know why that is, but I hope we're all able to figure it out and work on it. Um, Because sometimes the thing that makes people feel bad about being single is other people's perception of being single. Like it's not even coming from themselves. And I think if we could all uplift people who are single, especially the ones who are doing it with purpose and making sure they become the best version of themselves and making sure that they heal their traumas to make sure they never pick a toxic partner again, like me, I think we need to really uplift those people and let them be and know that everyone's person will come in time. And to seek it out and to have an energy of desperation is quite literally the opposite of anything that will result in a healthy relationship. So on behalf of the purposely single people who are healing, we're okay. We love you. Thank you for caring. But, like, please leave us alone. Um, so that is that. <laughs> now, a random thing <laughs> I wanted to talk about is that I did Sober October. And I wanted to briefly touch on this. Um, and I had recorded some episodes ahead of time, so I wasn't able to squeeze it in there. So, someone that I know chose to do like 30 days of sobriety and I thought it was really cool because I know that it was something that they were kind of struggling with like whatever so when I saw this person do that I was like that's really cool and then I thought to myself could I do that and my initial thought and reaction was oh my god I could not do that so then of course me who's a masochist, was like, excuse me? What do you mean you can't do that? That's absurd. So then I decided to do Sober October because I did not like the fact that some part of my brain thought that I could not not drink. 
And if you know me, I have friends that argue I need to drink more. (laughs) I do not drink often. And when I do drink, I do not drink a lot. I had my last real hangover was, I think, four years ago now. And it is permanently burned into my brain. It's the worst feeling. I never want to do that to myself purposely. So I have an incredible sense of control over alcohol. I know when to stop. I check in with myself when I'm drinking. And even when I'm buzzed, I can check in and be like, if you have one more, it's going to be bad. So I don't necessarily have any kind of problem with alcohol whatsoever. But what I think I definitely do have with alcohol, which is basically everyone's relationship with alcohol, is the dependence on it to make situations more comfortable. And I think that's where my um, kind of resistance to not drinking came from. Um, In social settings, in, uh, God forbid, you're dating. I'm not doing those things, as we know. But God forbid, to do that sober would be, it's scary. Like, alcohol just makes things easier. And I think that's why it's so easy for it to become a problem for people. I think that's why it's so easy for it to become a crutch for people. And so I decided to do Sober October. Um, The first, like, week, I was like, I can't wait for this to be over. And... Sober October is just a common, like, theme amongst the internet and amongst the world. But the reason I really liked the fact that it was October was because I had a party literally every single weekend of October. Like, I had events. I had a concert. All these things that I would never consider being sober for. And I was like, this is going to be a great challenge and a great test. Like, I didn't want to pick a month where oh, I have nothing going on, so that'll be easy. Like, that wasn't the point of this for me. I did not want it to be easy. I wanted to see, like, what's really up with my relationship with alcohol. So, first weekend, I was like, I would like for this to be over. I'm trying to have, like, a spicy margarita as soon as possible. And um, (laughs) then, probably after week two, I was in love with it. So... I went to multiple events, and not even events, like, literally just hangouts with friends where you end up drinking for no fucking reason, Um, especially because I don't need, like, comfort when I'm with my friends, so sometimes there's genuinely no reason to be drinking, and it was the best feeling ever to come home at 2 o'clock in the morning and be dead sober and have no kind of feeling of being drunk no headache, no nothing. Because for me personally, even as little as I drink, when I have one or two drinks at dinner, when I come home, I don't feel 100% good. I always have some kind of headache. And it's kind of weird that we like choose this for ourselves. But that's beside the point. So mind you, I am now back to drinking every once in a while. So (laughs) That's just what we do as people, I guess. But anyways, it was so good to come home, to feel amazing, to go to sleep and get like normal, perfect sleep. Because again, 
you guys know, especially if you're 30, one or two drinks and your sleep is not the same. Like, nothing is the same. You can't have a peaceful time even with just one or two drinks. It's very frustrating, honestly. And then to wake up feeling like a beautiful angel, feeling well-rested, feeling 100% normal, it was the best. And then there's something really cool about challenging yourself in social settings and seeing that, like, you were fine. Like, you successfully talked to people, you were social. Like, I remember, and this goes back to the problem that alcohol is a part of everything. I haven't been in a social environment and not drank very often since I've been, you know, of age. So you really start to wonder when you stop drinking, like, am I going to be okay? (laughs) Like, do I talk? Do I, like, am I as social? So it was really empowering to, like, watch myself be able to do that. And a couple of the events that I went to definitely challenged me in my sobriety. So I had one party that was um, a close friend of mine, but I don't necessarily know too many of her friends. And it was a wonderful time. Like I was able to act exactly the same as I would with alcohol. So it's silly to think that you wouldn't be able to, but I mean, it's essentially a nice reminder because of how often alcohol is a part of our situation. Um, And then the second thing that was a really big test was a concert that I went to. I have never been to a concert sober, maybe since, like, I saw Britney Spears in 1998. Um, But um, it was very interesting, and it brings up the whole point that I kind of want to wrap this up with in regards to Sober October. October. Sober October. And it's that alcohol can definitely cover up areas of insecurity and cover up kind of the struggle to fully embody ourselves, to be playful, to be all these things that I personally want to be without alcohol. And I think as we age and we become adults, we lose so much of that playfulness and we're so interested in making sure we're acting cool or acting appropriately. I don't mean appropriately, like, like acting inappropriately should be the goal, but like acting like in line or acting professional or acting like an adult, whatever those things mean. And we so much lose like our playful nature. And then I think the reason we love alcohol so much and want it to be a part of all our social gatherings is because we actually do value that playfulness, but it's very hard to get in touch with in a sober state for whatever reason. I mean, I think the reason is ultimately society, but that's beside the point. So at this concert, uh, I went to go see Rufus DeSoul. They are a EDM group. And I went with a friend of mine who also just really doesn't drink. And the first like five to 10 minutes, I really had to battle discomfort and I had to battle the feeling of why am I overthinking dancing so much? (laughs) Like I love to dance but if I'm being honest I can't remember the last time 
that dancing was part of a gathering or going out and there wasn't alcohol involved. So I have not just like danced sober in a long time. And I think a lot of adults can relate to that. Like we're just not really often in settings where we're dancing and also there's not alcohol. So it was really interesting because I felt so self-conscious. I felt like I, I was truly thinking about every single motion I was doing with my body. And it was so unpleasant for the first few minutes. And then I just forced my, forced, I'm slowly having a stroke as I record this podcast. I slowly started to get comfortable and put myself into that playful mode, put myself into the mode of enjoying and experiencing and not thinking about anything outside of that. But it was really interesting to see the struggle there. And a couple days later, I talked to one of my friends about this and she mentioned that she's pregnant and she went to a wedding where obviously she was not drinking. And she also brought up how it was hard for her to dance. And I was like, oh my God, I felt the same thing. And what's interesting is ultimately alcohol does not like add to your personality. Alcohol doesn't give you something that you don't have naturally. What it does is it lowers your inhibitions, so then you're able to access those things easier. But alcohol does not make you dance. Alcohol does not make you social. If you do those things when you drink, it means it is naturally inside of you, but there's some kind of block that allows you to embodying that fully without the help of something that lowers your inhibitions. So it made me kind of sad. I was like, we've become so dependent on this thing that without it, we're like, do I know how to dance or do I feel comfortable dancing or do I feel comfortable being social? Do I come feel comfortable making jokes? Like whatever alcohol brings out of you is simply what you have inside of you. So that's something that, that was probably my biggest takeaway out of Sober October was that there's these areas that I want to make sure I'm allowing to flourish and practice being playful without the presence of alcohol. And just overall kind of making better choices about why am I drinking right now? Like it's me and some of my closest friends just sitting at their house talking and we're drinking like, why? Why would that be? So I still think a really good spicy margarita is worth my time. And I still think that, yes, it is fun every now and then to have that little extra comfort and dance and do whatever. But I think the way society treats alcohol is like a little bit disturbing. And I've been thinking a lot more more about that, honestly, for the last two or three years because I became friends with and started to know people who um, kind of have a platform surrounding their sobriety and just based off of the things I've learned from them and the, you know, the way people who are sober and kind of exploring how sobriety is treated in our culture really shows you that the way alcohol is ingrained into our culture is very strange. 
like it's in every single setting like when you really step back and think about it it's a little bit weird considering that it's ultimately a toxin to your body and it's really not that great for you yet it's a very normal part of literally everything as an adult so I mean we're at the point where at breakfast you should be drinking because there's mimosas like it's just it's a little much so it was very interesting I was glad I was able to kind of um, show myself that I could in fact be sober since I had that initial thought that maybe I couldn't and yeah just it it shined a light for me on those areas where I want to practice embodying myself and my playfulness and my confidence without needing a drink or two to get me there. So those are my random mishmash of topics I wanted to talk about today. I will talk to you guys soon and I love you very much.